Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning again. Uh, glad that you're here with us. Want to welcome those watching online as well. I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, we are starting a new series this week, and I'm reminded that uh, sort of things are changing. Uh, did, when you woke up, was it a little bit cooler this morning? And you feel like saying the summer, come back, come back. And uh, we, we're at that point where we're uh, closing out our summer and we're looking uh, towards what ne- what's next. And we know that the decisions that, that we make will have an impact for the next year. And so what I want to do today is I start our new series called All for the One, based on one chapter of the Bible. If you're familiar with this chapter of the Bible, I think we're going to get into it in a way maybe that you haven't before. We're going to, uh, look, as we look at Luke chapter 15, we're going to get an understanding of God's heart. Because here's my premise, is that as we focus our life, we're determining our future. Where our focus is, is where our future ends up. And I think that's so important as we head into the fall, because there's so many decisions. And my, my premise is this as well, that it's usually not between a good and a bad thing. Not many of you woke up this morning and said, am I going to go to church or am I going to rob a Walmart? Now, I hope that wasn't the decision you were making this morning. You know, so it's usually between good things, right? And good things can distract us from the absolute best things in life. I mean, it is overwhelming the number of decisions that you have to make. A life is going to get busy uh, in, in the, a few weeks. Kids go back to school, and there's like... Tons of homework. Uh, even for, ele- I, see, I, when I grew up and went to elementary school, uh, they didn't give us a lot of homework. They just let us be dumb. And I thought that was awesome, you know. It worked out okay for me uh, and the rest of you. But now, your kids have this overwhelming amount of homework. They're like, if you don't study hard, you're never going to get into Harvard. And it's like, that's a lot of pressure on a kindergartner. (laughs) And so we have that. And then, of course, then there's youth sports, right? Youth sports, a good thing, too. Academics is a good thing. And it used to be, hey, you had sports, uh, you know, uh, you go a a few times a week and do sports. But now sports are nearly 24-7. And I'm not just talking about watching them, I'm talking about playing them. It's, uh, hey, we're going to have practice every day of the week. And as I've said before, there's one theological truth I am convinced of, is that Satan, the enemy of our souls, is the scheduler for every youth sports league. (laughs) Because here's what Satan will do, is he'll say, 
huh, let's do youth sports on Sunday morning, <laughs> or however he laughs. <laughs> so, uh, and so you have this really good thing, but you're saying, what about my kid's spiritual life? Because obviously there's always a trade-off, and we'd, we'd, we'd be deluding ourselves if we didn't think there was. Now, granted, you know, you're here, we have tons of services, tons of campuses, probably find a place to go to church. But it's these decisions that really determine our future. In fact, parents, I would say this. The decisions you're making for your kids are going to be pretty significant. You know that in their academic life. What about their friends? What about their spiritual life? How are we, how are we navigating that? And one thing you don't need to do is navigate that alone. We're, as your church family, we are here to help you and support you. But our focus determines our future. And that's not just a Ben concept, that's a biblical concept. You know, every, every once in a while, uh, these days, as you, you know, you get a little bit older, people ask your opinion more. And so uh, I will, uh, you know, work with a, a group of people often. Usually it's a church leadership team flying somewhere. And they'll say, hey, you know, we want to we wanna figure out what our mission should be. And I'm like, don't do that. What about the mission God gave you? See, uh, you've heard me say before, a church should never have a unique mission statement because that's called a cult. The Bible said, Jesus tells us what the, what the mission of the church is. You're saying, can't churches have different missions? You can do whatever you want to, but it's not right biblically. And it's not unclear. You don't even need to guess. You don't even need to look really hard. You don't need to look at one verse in the Bible, one chapter, because it's everywhere, all the place, from Genesis throughout the Bible, that it is ultimately clear. I was reading in my devotions in the book of Acts today, and it was clear the priority. As I was reading, I talked about when non-Jewish people were coming to faith, and I've described this many times, is you look at almost every religion and worldview is that it's usually tribalistic, sometimes geographically uh, centered. As you know, we have people from all over the world, which I love, and you know, uh, people of the Islamic faith, they have to go to Saudi Arabia for that. That's the only place you got to go there. That's one of the pillars you got to go there in that geographic place. When the gospel came, it's, it's opposed from that. See, God comes to you, it is radically different. No matter what your ethnicity, language, or circumstance, one of the first miracles in the Bible was that people understood God in their own language. And so that's a different, that God comes to you. If you, if you get deep into the scripture, see, we, we learn a caricature instead of the actual study of it, we learn the heart of God. And, and we're calling this series All for the One. And we're looking in Luke chapter 15 at three stories in more depth. Today I'm going to do a little more of an introduction and understand what that means. I was gone last week. Pastor Carlos did a fantastic job, as he always does when he's uh, teaching. And uh, I was moving my daughter and my youngest daughter, and I don't want to overshare as a pastor, uh, my youngest daughter completely broke my heart as a father. 
I, I, I've mentioned uh, a few thousand times that I went to the University of Washington in Seattle. When she applied to colleges, she didn't even apply to the University of Washington. Yeah, and I had to ask her, do you really know Jesus, honey? The, uh, and so she decided to go to this other school in this foreign place called Pullman to Washington State University. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, you didn't do it this time, but every other service there have been people who cheered. Uh, yeah, yeah, we have lots of people who truly don't know the Lord yet. And the, uh, <laughs> so I, but I've had, to, I've had to give up. And now, in fact, I am going to probably start preaching in coup gear. <laughs> Not. No, the, uh, but I do, I actually do. I have a, I have a, a, a Wazoo Dad uh, shirt and mug. I'm getting all of that kind of stuff. I just sort of want to enter into her world. And uh, it, she's so excited, and I'm so excited for her. Uh, you know, that as we think about you know, sort of what God does as God, as a father, if we reflect the heart of God, we enter into our kids' worlds. Well, moved her in. She uh, overpacked is a little bit of an understatement. And so we had a small cache of supplies that could have supplied a small nation as we moved into her dorm. And uh, as we moved into her dorm, we moved everything in. It didn't fit, surprise, surprise. Uh, but they have a bed. The beds can be, uh, be raised, and you can create a whole little other universe underneath the bed. And uh, my wife said, hey, do you want to raise the bed? And I didn't tell her the truth. I lied to her. And I said, yes. <laughs> no, I don't want to raise that bed, but I did. Uh, that's how I've, I've been married a long time, and that's how I intend to stay married. And so, uh, so I said, yes, of course, honey. I think that's an excellent idea. Uh, well, everything was, the bed was already made. The stuff was already there. And uh, so what... What, you know, you, you, with all that stuff around it, it would be hard to maneuver this bed and raise it up. And so what an intelligent person would do would be move everything out of the room and then raise the bed. And then there's what I did. <laughs> what I did is I tried to do it with the help of my daughter uh, and my wife who were there. So we tried to raise this bed. It was uh, over 90 degrees in the room, no air conditioning. And so I'm behind there and I get completely stuck it's like cattywampus. Now I'm afraid I'm going to break the whole bed. And now the good thing is the Lord had mercy on me in my stupidity. Uh, there, are, uh, there were two kids from the church actually on her dorm floor at Washington State University. And I saw one of the dads, uh, he actually serves in the, uh, in the, uh, with a hospitality team. I saw him walk by and I said, help! Uh, <laughs> And so Jeff, Jeff is a great guy, uh, and, and uh, he came, and I said, hey, Jeff, you know what? You ever wonder what the Lord wants you to do with your life? I have a word from Jesus for you today. And so he helped me, and we were able to, to finally get the bed up. So tired afterwards, we went out to dinner, and uh, my daughter has a roommate, uh, you know, also just entering college, you know, petite girl, she's there, and we get back, and... Uh, she uh, said uh, that she decided to raise her bed, too. So they, they raised her bed. And I'm like, so you did that, with just you and your dad? She goes, no, I did it all by myself. 
<laughs> a little bit of a humbling experience for me, just got to tell you that. <laughs> the, you know, as, as we go through life and we look at focus, that's not humbling experience. You know what a humbling experience is? Is when we're honest with God, maybe honest with other people, it's time to refocus. And I don't want you to focus around your priorities nor mine. I'm suggesting, why don't we focus around the priorities that Jesus Christ has for each and every one of us? We're going to look at Luke 15, but I want to set it up uh, by John 10, 11. If you'll take your outlines out of your program. Uh, Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, uh, a lot of my agrarian friends in eastern Washington might know uh, about uh, shepherding or something like that. And that's not common for many of us. In the Bible, it's very common. Uh, you know, there are over 200 verses about sheep in the Bible, uh, 41 about dogs, none about cats. And so, uh, well, unless you include uh, the book of James, uh, because it, it, like a lion is sort of a cat, and it says the devil is like a lion. So that's, <laughs> but there, uh, no, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, so, but uh, there's a lot of verses around sheep in the Bible. Because people got it, it was, they knew what that would be like. That, that sheep, sheep, by the way, when the Bible calls us sheep, that's not a compliment. Sheep are not particularly uh, intelligent animals. They, they prone to wander away and get themselves in trouble and hurt if not tended to and cared for. But people understand that a shepherd uh, doesn't sit there and judge the sheep and say, you're bad, you know, and next time, you know, it's going to be euros or whatever. And so it's, uh, no, the shepherd takes the sheep back. Always cares, always loves. And so, when the religious leaders of Jesus' day were having a hard time understanding his priorities as it related to those who were on the outside, he tells a story. Now, I, I want you to get the context completely here, is the people who he talks about, which we're going to read about, the tax collectors and sinners, they weren't people, maybe even like in our society, who were completely unfamiliar with faith. Some were people who had wandered away from the faith, like a sheep. Or had been around it but never entered into a personal relationship with God. See, you can be religious without a relationship with God. And so, Jesus tells this story. We read in Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. It's interesting how he doesn't, he doesn't really confront them head on at this point. He tries to draw them in. He's actually trying to win them to this point of view, to God's point of view. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, and this is the part that was new to them. 
because they'd been working on this, you know, sort of almost like a, the karmic scale that some people believe today. Does the good outbalance the bad? And this is a whole new perspective on God and God's heart. He says, I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. God goes after the one in a hundred. Maybe we're like a, you could be like that sheep and we don't even understand that that's us. Maybe that has been us and God has brought us back. And, and he tells the story really to two groups of people. To those who had it, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week. How our perspectives can get skewed. And he also tells it to those who thought it was too good to be true. That God had a plan and purpose for them. When I grew up, I grew up uh, with, when the big video game when I grew up was Pong. Any of you remember Pong? Yeah, it was, so yeah, Pong was a, a horrible little game, cost like a hundred bucks way back when, and you got to see this little white ball go from one side of the screen to the other. And uh, so we, we, we didn't spend a lot of time on Pong. We played other games as well. Uh, in fact, I'd go, I'm the youngest uh, in my family, and so uh, my brothers in particular, uh, they would love to play King of the Hill. Are you familiar with that game? It's where the older, stronger members of the society throw the younger members down the hill. It's a fun little game for them. My one brother who spent a bit of time incarcerated loved that in particular. And uh, so we have uh, that, and then there was Mercy, where you act like you're holding hands, but then they inflict pain. The one I liked because I, as a youngest kid, could still compete at uh, was the equalizer, hide-and-seek, right? Uh, now, you get the, the great, there's not a rule book written for hide-and-seek. Uh, it's very simple. There is it. Uh, it is chosen by eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And then it hides until other people find it. And so, uh, in fact, there's one kid in our neighborhood, Steve, who every time we played hide-and-seek, he would always win. I would always have to call him out. In fact, he still may be hiding today. I'm not sure whatever happened to him. And so, and as we take that little children's game, I was thinking about how we carry that into our world as adults, and we're good at hiding. We're good at hiding our doubt and hiding our fear and hiding our shame and hiding our sin. In hiding our struggles, in hiding the struggles we don't have where God has said, I want you to focus on this in our life, and we say, oh no, God, I have a reason why that doesn't apply to me. I think if you've been a long-term Christ follower, your biggest tendency is to not know where you're out of focus. Because we've come up with our own rationale, and, and we, we sort of believe the Bible, we sort of believe God. But not when it challenges my preferences, my time, my resources. But God doesn't look at us and say, you're done. He says, I, I invite you to a different way of looking at things, a new focus. And as we hit the fall, my prayer 
is that we will get that focus. Here's the key truth, is that God's primary business is redemption. Now, uh, I, I had the opportunity, was uh, at, a, at a conference that we actually hosted here this spring. It was a group of pastors filled this place. And uh, my concern is that we will get, we'll focus on good things, but not the ultimate thing. That it, truth is important. We're like, I'm sort of a big, you know, Bible guy. We, we go through that. We'll do doctrine series. Uh, but truth is important, but not ultimate. It's what the truth points to. That compassion, that's a good thing, right? I guess not. So, <laughs> yeah. But no, compassion is a good thing. And so that's very important. Again, it's the good versus the ultimate. Justice. There's a lot of injustice in the world. To bring justice is good and very good, but not ultimate. Holiness, personal righteousness, that I, that's good. The Bible, again and again, it is absolutely clear that without equal, God's primary purpose is redemption. Without we, for the, what that means is we come to Jesus maybe for the first time and we accept his grace, but you know what? That process doesn't end there. We need to come to him again and again. And God redeems those parts of our lives that we believe are unredeemable. So my question is this, before we start talking about other people, is why do I resist God's redemption plan? I want to suggest four reasons uh, for you today. One is simply the fear of being found out. I'm afraid of being outed. I'm afraid someone's going to know. I'm I'm afraid someone's going to understand who I really am. Look at what it says in Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Uh, There's a great uh, podcast, by the way, if you have not listened to it. It's called Entree Leadership. And uh, I believe Molly Fletcher uh, did a recent one. She is phenomenal. Uh, Phenomenal uh, writer, leader, and... Uh, she did one on what do you do when you mess up? And uh, it was really simple. She said, tell the truth, tell it quickly, tell it yourself. And I would say tell it to yourself. Because what we'll usually do is we'll, you know, we feel like if somehow if we can make it murky, things will be better. I, I was reading an article, this is actually... Uh, I think from is from the newspaper a couple of years ago. I saved it. Uh, it was an inmate from the Butte County uh, Jail in California uh, was escaped and then recaptured, and then he was able to write a statement of what happened. Here's what he wrote. Uh, okay, let me go uh, back to it. Computer. He said, "I was playing pole vault in the prison yard." Okay, get that. And I got too close to the wall, and I fell over the wall. When I regained my senses, I ran, away, I ran around trying to find my way back into the prison. Being unfamiliar with the area, I got lost, and the next thing I knew, I was in Chico, which is 104 miles away. That's us, isn't it? If I can come up with a good enough excuse, 
the Bible is quite clear. There is no sin, no failure. Whether you're coming to Christ or you've known Jesus for a long time, that is beyond the grace. The only thing we need to do is say, God, here I am. Would you heal my heart? Would you heal my marriage? God, would you help me as I struggle with this addiction, as I deal with anger that I just can't get a handle on? And God shows up and he gives grace. Secondly, I resist because I'm not sure if I'm willing to pay the price for real change. Now, this is the paradox of sort. Theologically, there's a paradox that God's grace, he gives us grace, right? That we receive that as a free gift. Yet, there's a cost to receiving that gift. And the cost is that when God's grace intervenes in our life, that it, it can bring change. I've talked to so many people. One person, and he gave me permission to share, this is his Facebook post. Actually, someone who came, came to really uh, connected with Jesus here at Timberlake Church and was going through recovery and actually wasn't when he first came to the church. And if you say, that's me, hey, that's okay. We'll walk through the process with you. It says, eight years, 96 months, 2,923 days ago, I conceded to my innermost self that I needed help. I had no idea what I was going to do, but also knew that the proverbial last house on the block was the only place left to go. I was desperate and knew I had to do something, otherwise I would surely die. I had been struggling with this myself for many months, both physically and mentally exhausted, completely baffled and bewildered. The previous night, for the first time in my life, I looked up and humbly asked God for help. That I needed help if he really did exist. Not knowing the significance of the chain of events that are truly nothing short of miraculous that were set off. Today, my entire outlook has changed. I have been given a blueprint for living happily, no matter what's going on, which at this point is a ton, some things that are still really difficult. To say that I'm grateful is a huge understatement. And that, that really reminds me of the scripture from Proverbs 3, 5, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, we will... We'll work through a, a problem. Uh, well, rec- maybe it's a recovery, especially alcohol and drug addiction. And, and those are problems that we, hey, if I can just get this right and get the chemicals right, that is part of it, but that, that won't help you completely. You know why most people get in trouble, why they relapse? It's because they go back to the same friend group and it's so hard and struggle and their friends don't understand that they have to live a different way. So, you know, you, you may be able to take a drink, but for me it ruins my whole life. And so the price is, I just got to be in different environments than I used to be. Not that I'm judging them, it's just I can't be there anymore. Maybe the price is admitting, hey, you know, we're, we're sort of co- cohabitating but not enjoying our relationship. We need to do something about it. We need to uh, go to a counselor. We need, and, and, I, and I, I, I understand this. I, I don't want to make this simplistic, but here, here's, I say this as a, just a loving challenge. I'll, you know, we'll have re-engage. About 600 people have gone through re-engage. It's not a 
panacea doesn't cure all, but many people have seen restoration. And people, oh, I'm too busy. Here's the thing, get less busy. I'm doing something else. Don't do that thing. See, it's a choice. And not making a choice in itself is a choice. So am I going to make the choice to step into healing and step into wholeness? Maybe for you, it's, you know, you're someone at work and the relationship's gotten inappropriate. And for you, it's, you just need to go someplace else and work. Well, you know, that'd be hard and get a job and I'd make less money. So live on less money. I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm saying it's worth it. And that God will walk with you every step of the way. See, I think a lot of it comes to this as number three. I don't know what I'm missing. Is I can't see on the other side what God has for me, really. I don't know if many of you in school, whether high school or college, uh, you read Plato's Republic. Any of you remember that? You read, or you didn't really read it. You read the Cliff Notes or Spark Notes to Plato's Republic, uh, and uh, there in that uh, is the allegory of the cave. It's really the central story within that, that that's best known. And if you're unfamiliar with that uh, work, it's in the allegory of the cave, there's uh, some people, I think it's all men, and they're uh, like chained up and they're staring at a blank wall and they're watching just shadows go by. It's a very cheery little book. And, uh, and so there's been so much written over the years, literally over hundreds of years, about what's, what does this story mean? And, and, and one of the questions I had as I, as I was in a discussion group as we were uh, talking about this, is we were talking about what is our responsibility to those who are seeing shadows and are stuck and don't know any better? Do we say, hey, who am I to impose a different worldview on you? We'll just let you be chained to a floor and see shadows the rest of your life. Or if if, you, if you've experienced something different, would, would, the most, would the kindest thing to do, do say, you know what, there's actually something better for you than that. You were never created to live that way. So uh, this season has been a weird season. Been, you know, I'll travel a little bit, just one or two days a week. And uh, I, I try to like, go, like I'll fly in and out the same day. I always love to be home, sleep in my own bed. I usually take a, a five o'clock uh, flight out or 5.30. So I, I was on a, a flight very early in the morning, and um, as I'm out, I had gotten uh, upgraded for free, which I always know the Lord is with me when that happens. And so uh, the guy sitting next to me, uh, they come up and they give you a free drink. What do you want? And I said, I want a Coke Zero. I know I shouldn't drink Coke Zero in the morning. Uh, and I felt bad about that. And, and then the guy next to me, uh, he orders uh, a drink drink with a couple little bottles of liquor. And I feel a little less worse about my Coke Zero uh, at that point. And uh, so I'm like, okay, that's sort of interesting. This is way early in the morning. And then he forgoes the ice in the glass and he just sort of drinks those. And I'm like, okay, that's so, wow, wake up. So we, we, uh, we go and then they offer a different round of drinks and he does the same thing again. And uh, so I realized that maybe, you know, alcohol could be a little bit of a problem for my friend. And uh, we have a conversation, absolutely brilliant, really one of the smartest, uh, and, and sort of a uh, uh, good guy. Uh, you know, done all these adventures, all of this, obviously he's struggling with alcohol. 
It's because, and you say, how do you know that? Well, I'm not really intelligent, but I know that once you're down in shots at 5 a.m., you may have a slight alcohol problem. <laughs> and so uh, I asked him about his life, and, and he's taken a little sabbatical. He's actually done fairly well financially, well, fairly well, incredibly well financially, young age. He'd been traveling the world. And he said, but man, I just feel like something's missing. And so I talked to him about, he said, what do you do? And I told him, and I could tell he wasn't a church person because he said, man, that is blank and awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's, I love that. And so, uh, yeah, I'd probably, you know, lose my role if I told you what he said. So, uh, but uh, he, he said that. And uh, so we were just talking about life. See, because I, I knew one thing. I knew that alcohol really wasn't the biggest problem in his life. And if he got sober and missed his purpose, then he'd just be sober without his purpose. So we started to talk about that a little bit. And uh, he lives in the area. And he goes, man, uh, can, can I, like, meet with you again? And I told him, no, I'm busy. The, uh, anyway, that's the end. No, I didn't do that. Uh, I think for all of us, there's a yearning for that thing that's missing. And that, that doesn't, if you haven't figured that out yet, that doesn't make you a bad person. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm a Christ follower and something's missing and God wants to, God wants to do something new in your life. Number four, I don't, I'm not sure how to get started. And I'm going to have to go quick. I've spoken a little too long. Uh, how do I get started? First, understand God's voice. Luke 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I want to suggest some practical ways. One, engage at your pain point. Engage at your real pain point. If you want real progress, it's usually always going to be at the place of pain. Maybe you say, hey, I, I've accepted Jesus, but I'm really struggling financially. Uh, well, you know what? Then that's your pain point. Work there. Say, God, you know, go to one of our financial peace classes and, and figure that out to help understand because God has a plan. He's not going to leave you alone in that. Uh, I'll have uh, couples talk to me and usually around marriage issues and uh, almost invariably, it's something like this. Hey, we're really struggling. We don't know if I'm going to make it. We're going to make it. And I'll say, well, so what's going on? And it always starts this way, usually at the surface level. Well, he doesn't help clean up around the house. And I wanted to go out, and she won't go out with my friends. And you look at that, and like, really? Okay, you're not picking up stuff around the house, and you're not going to go out on a date, so we might as well get divorced. So I, I always dig a deeper in it. And usually what it comes down to is something, hey, I feel unloved. I feel unwanted. I don't feel appreciated. If we deal at the surface level, we will never make progress in our life. And the deepest level in your life and mine is that place where our life and faith intersect. And part of that is to invite others into the process Spiritual maturity never happens alone. Completely unknown biblically that it always involves other people. I hope you have someone speaking to your life. I do. I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a pastor a while. 
But I always say, who's going to speak into my life? Because I know my perspective is not going to be clear without other people. That's why we talk about groups. Next month, we're going to have a lot of groups starting. And maybe for you, you've experienced some incredible progress in your life. And now it's time for you to, to be the person who's invitable. That you would say, hey, I want to help other people out. Uh, in fact, there's opportunity, connection card, uh, certain areas, addiction recovery. You say, hey, I'm willing to help. I'm not perfect, but I, I can help other people. Grief share, divorce care, re-engage. In fact, uh, Pastor Carlos is actually going to, uh, uh, and him and Libby, his wife Libby, they, I think they have a particularly powerful ministry around marriage. And... Uh, you say, hey, I'm willing to be on the team. Usually there's like 100, sometimes even 200 people in one of those. And you could be that person. And I encourage you, for some of you, you've experienced grace, share grace. And then really pray. Not the perfunctory prayer where we feel like we should, but we say, God, I desperately need you in this moment. And then finally, we want to give someone else a second chance. The Bible is very clear. That In fact, there's an evaluation point. It's said several times in the scripture is that we will be forgiven as we forgive others. Not that we earn God's grace, but if we can't forgive others, then most assuredly we don't know what God's grace was about in the first place. And it's not always easy. In fact, it rarely is. But it's always transformational. And my prayer is, Whatever area in your life, you say, hey, I've been, a, I've been following Jesus for a number of years. And you say, but there's this one area. And that you'd bring that to God, and God would do a redemptive work. And you'd say, if I only would have known, when I open up my heart in, my, in this area of my life, with struggling, whether it's your parenting or what, whatever it is, See, I believe the God of the Bible who did miracles is here today to do a miracle in your life and in mine. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be resistant to God's redemption plan anymore. I want to be open. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for each and every person here. God, I pray for those of us who we're called to step out and, and even lead in this next season, God, that we would, we would do that. God, I pray for each and every one of my friends that there would be transformation as we open up areas of our heart and our life that we've never opened up to you before. And God, I pray for my friends who are here, and this may be you. You, you may be here and you say, hey, I, I don't know, God, the way you talk about them, but I'd like to. I want to give you an opportunity to step into that relationship. You say something like this just silently to God. God, I, I, I need you. I need your grace, your redemption. I need the forgiveness that you gave through your son, Jesus. And I receive you in my life, God. I want to follow you. God, I thank you that when I feel unacceptable, you accept me. So I say yes to you. God, I thank you that this will be a great season. 
Not because of necessarily what even happens outside of us, but because of what happens inside of us. And we look forward to that, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.